welcome to Talking Economics, where I give our authoritative take on global markets, the economy, and the world of business. I'm your host, Alex Saron, and thank you for tuning in to this episode. In my last episode, I looked at how the financial industry was impacted during the pandemic. So in today's episode, I'm going to look at the future of the financial industry. To tell us more about the future of the industry with Mr. Archie. Mr. Archie is the Chief Executive Officer of our Ariana Investment Management. Thank you very much for being here today, Mr. Archie. Before we dive into this episode, could you please share with us what your job entails and more information about Ariana Investment Management? Sure. Thanks for this, uh, Tilak. Uh, thanks for having me on your on your podcast. Uh, brief introduction. Um, I've, I'm a 20-25 year uh, veteran of investment banking across multiple banks: J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, Standard Chartered. Uh, before um, you know, going on my own entrepreneurial <laughs> venture. So I've been involved the last three four years in venture capital and private equity investing. And um, in that uh, regard, Ariana Investment Management is basically a a boutique um, a private equity and a venture cap investment firm, um, funded basically by a small group of, um, you know, close-knit investors. And, um, you know, the founders, basically three of us, essentially look at uh, making private equity investments and venture cap investments uh, across industries, you know, not just um, technology, but even in the real economy. Thank you very much for sharing some light on both your company and yourself. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Let's begin by looking at the future of your, in, your sector in the industry. Information is crucial for private equity firms, and during the pandemic, information had to be digitized. But by digitizing that information, everyone has, has it, and private equity firms will lose their competitiveness. So as we move forward, how will private equity firms adapt to this problem? Um, actually, uh, it's an interesting question that you raised, Tilak. Um, fundamentally, private equity firms, and I would say generally firms in uh, general, um, rely on information arbitrage, which means they have um, access to information or information that most people won't have, and hence that leads to uh, your decision-making or your, uh, you know, uh, informed decision-making, as you'd say. And uh, by matter of, by, sim- by simply digitizing information doesn't mean it's it's democratic enough and accessible of, uh, to everybody. I mean, you just moved information from a paper form to electronic form, but that doesn't mean that it's out there for everybody. So private equity firms like us ourselves find it a bit easier to manage data now because it's more digital. We can, uh, you know, handle it better. But still, getting uh, your hands on it, hold of it, you know, still requires good old school of knowing your companies, knowing the management, access to them, you know, um, and basically access to their, uh, you know, underlying information, data, and records. And um, many companies, being private in nature and small in nature. Uh, do not actually put out their information in the in the public domain. So I don't think digitization per se, um, you know, changes the uh, landscape. Um, it shifts, um, you know, it's it's a basically a, a delta shift, but everybody has moved with it. So your relative advantages still, uh, you know, remain uh, with people who have um, access to the inside track. You mentioned earlier that cyber t- threats are increasing. So will digitization continue to increase at a rapid rate? Look, um, the reality is every business model has its own sets of risks. That is the reality, right? So um, you can go back to uh, 5,000 years and, you know, and early ages of civilization and, you know, whether before it was all of these things. And how did you exchange information and share information? It involved risks of a different kind, right? So you basically had to physically carry information place to place or maybe you'd carry your PGNs or whatever it is. Right? So fundamentally, you always have risks associated with every mode and medium of um, you know, information gathering, sharing, and uh, you know, usage. 
Um, and what it means in that in, in the current digital cyber world is that that takes place in the virtual electronic space. That's 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 basically what it is, right? So, and just as you would uh, have uh, adopted means and methods to protect your data information over the millennia, you know, depending on what the mode was, you would have to do the same. You know, there is no escaping the fact. Simply because uh, you're now smart and online and digital um, doesn't mean you're not any less vulnerable. And you will need to uh, spend time, effort, and resources to uh, uh, protect your information data. So the rules of the game haven't changed. It's just that the, um, you know, the way you play the game keeps changing, that's all. You said the rules of the game have changed. So wouldn't it lead to an increase in costs, which would result in a decrease in profits? It, it does. I mean, look, um, if I were to take um, good old, um, let's say, a traditional uh, financial industry model, let's take a bank, right? And people complain and whinge and whine about the costs and the fees and how the new fintechs are like so much more better and cheaper and so on and so forth. Um, but then when you, uh, as a fintech, become big enough and large enough to have multiple clients and you're dealing with a lot more valuable information data and then you're a potential target for uh, a cyber attack, then you need to raise your defenses up, right? You want to spend, uh, uh, you know, uh, money, time, resources in hiring people, in technology, in IT, in software, in systems, the whole works. That's basically when your costs start adding up, right? So there is no free lunch. And uh, just as uh, you complain about a traditional bank uh, charging a lot because they have to maintain branches, they have to have uh, tellers, they have to have people, and they've got uh, antiquated, uh, you know, systems to manage the processes. Um, but uh, what you would find is that the new age companies will soon find that the cost of being as safe and secure as the current traditional ones uh, are, and you provide the additional uh, flexibility, comes at a cost and a price. And eventually, people will have to pay. Otherwise, you know, the models are not fundamentally sustainable. As I highlighted earlier, the pandemic had a huge impact on several industries, and your industry was arguably impacted the most. But if you look back to when the stock market went through a crash in 2008, prior investing capital dried up, which resulted in lower deal flow. The pandemic resulted in an even deeper impact on the economy. How will that impact deal flows post the pandemic? See, one thing you have to realize is that um, very rarely do you uh, fight the same uh, battle uh, twice. So, um, so the 2008 crisis um, was not repeated because you learn the lessons from the 2008 crisis and uh, people react to it. We've had intermediate, like you know, crisis in between, you know, whether it's the euro crisis so on and so forth. But essentially, institutions learn from the crises and then they figure out uh, ways and methods to handle similar situations. So, if you look at it this time when uh, the pandemic struck, it was a much broader. It's across the entire eco economy, right? Not specific to a sector. And banking and financial services do get impacted uh, heavily because they're, it's a very much leveraged play on the overall economy, right? The whole economy relies on the entire you know, financial system, and there is a built-in leverage uh, in the system by nature of its, uh, you know, by, by its very nature. So this time, obviously, the central banks acted much quickly, much more swiftly, and the governments did, and they pumped in money, and they kind of softened and cushioned the blow to the economy at large. As a result, the uh, stresses that the last crisis, you know, were created, but not felt this time. So obviously means that there is the different, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't mean there are no issues and no problems, different problems, right? So every crisis has a different set of uh, problems and how you handle it. So, uh, so as a result, the financial sector in general, this time round, did pretty well, 
because the leverage and the uh, you know the risks were essentially taken on by the governments and the central banks and uh, and it was not uh, borne by the banking system so the banking system actually did very well expanded and all the stuff and with the increased liquidity in the system cost of capital become uh, lower and is much more easily available so perversely the deal flow and the valuations and the transaction flow this time round has been much 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 stronger and uh, much uh, multiples more than what um, anybody would have anticipated let's say early into the pandemic last march if you ask people they would have said the world is coming to an end right but subsequent 18 20 months have shown that this has been the probably the best ever period you know in terms of um, transaction flow you know private equity transactions the valuations uh, the number of new companies that have come up and uh, you know exploded so um, yeah it's you know conventional wisdom sometimes doesn't quite work and um, it's it's been a very different um, outcome this time round you mentioned earlier that human interaction has decreased and technology has filled that that gap but post the pandemic will human interactions continue to decrease in regards to your industry look the world is already heading into a very hybrid mode right so um it's not uh, uh obvious or easy that you can go completely to a you know offline you know or digital mode um yes um the zooms of the world have made uh, life much more easier in terms of being able to communicate and you know get most things done and uh, and there are enough people who kind of written and talked about the death of um need for physical interaction and you know face to face meetings and you could do everything virtually um but you know that only works uh, only so far and you know um, um and there is still the uh, last mile uh, that you still need to uh, do physically in many ways um when it comes to like you know establishing chemistry trust uh, you know uh, validation verification and you know a bit of fraud uh, you know checking and so on and so forth mm-hmm. so i think the world is definitely moving to a very much hybrid model where uh, a lot of uh, activities will be taking place uh, offline virtually and with people relying much more and getting more comfortable in using uh, digital methods of uh, doing what uh, used to be in a physical uh, form um so that uh, aspect is definitely improved efficiencies but i don't think uh, we will take away the um, physical uh, aspect of it away and um, and barring i would say a window of about a year or so um between like let's say last march and maybe um, you know uh, uh, early this uh, you know year where it looked like you no know, physical interaction was going to be much more difficult i think now it's basically more or less um a thing of the past um and people are much more comfortable engaging and it's it's all about um it will not be uh, as much as it was in the past definitely not but uh, a substantial portion portion of the business and actually will still be in the physical form there's no uh, escaping that you mentioned how governments responded to the crisis and if we look at Sing- the singaporean and american government they threw so much money at the economy um if they didn't do that how would your industry have survived no it's not a question of uh, uh, industry surviving i mean there will always be survivors right mm-hmm. so yes it would have been a uh, much more difficult situation it would have been chaos and a massive crisis um but you know um, in 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 no uh, you know event or eventuality would there be 100% mortality you know the reality is let's say for example when the meteor hit you know earth like you know millions of years ago bunch of uh, species died and you know uh, became extinct but many more survived right so um, and 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 then carried on so there is always the um, you know the, the survival of the fittest uh, that de- takes place um and uh, all companies and organizations that would have adapted best to that uh, evolving situation would have survived and those 
that uh, would have uh, not adapted as well would not have survived. So, so it's not uh, necessarily that um, if these steps would not have been taken, you know, it would have been, you know, all gone to zero. Um, the impact would have been everywhere. Like, you know, uh, courier companies could have gone under, you know, it's not just banking, like, you know, um, you know, uh, you could have retail, uh, you know, uh, businesses going under. So there could have been multiple impacts all over the place. The whole economy would have been impacted. But within each industry, there would have been the stronger ones that would have survived, you know, probably consolidated, acquired, and, you know, um, grown bigger and stronger. You said the rules of the game have changed. So wouldn't it lead to an increase in costs, which would result in a decrease in profits? I think uh, the couple of uh, clear lessons. One is, uh, uh, as we briefly mentioned earlier, um, the uh, the consumers, the uh, clients uh, at large are very, very open and willing to go digital in a big way. And I think if there has been one, uh, you know, thing that this whole crisis has done is accelerated that process, right? Mentally, I mean, I mean, you you're part of the new generation, so for you, it is um, you know something that you've been born with. You're born with instead of a um, you know, th- uh, sucking your thumb in your mouth, you probably have been like you know born with an iPhone, you know, um, you know to play with, right? So, so that's it's. But nevertheless, the broader, much older generation too have all moved rapidly. That's I think was a big shift. What it means is that it has enabled the industry to uh, to uh, reduce its reliance on on manual processes and procedures and people and 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 systems and 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 go much more digital. So I think that's basically definitely one big. You know, uh, you know, trend that's that's helping the industry, and the second one essentially is that um, the whole concept of democratization of finance is happening, right? I mean, people call out DeFi as a as a as a new acronym, but nevertheless, what it means is that uh, finance is increasingly not just the uh, you know uh, the domain of the big and the large organizations. So uh, many more players are able to offer many more services, you know, and uh, and it's basically making much more accessible. I mean, something as simple as uh, I don't know whether you own a have a uh, a dummy uh, trading account or you have a real account, but the fact is today, um, you know, people don't need to have large amounts of money or open with large brokerage houses or whatever to have a brokerage account. Um, you find like you know, young people with hardly any uh, you know with very little money are able to like you know uh, participate in the whole financial uh, you know uh, markets, right? Uh, your payments, you know, your savings, your your uh, you know borrowing, your credit has all changed, right? So I would say is that uh, from the industry perspective, um, the players are many more. The def- industry definition itself is getting fuzzier. You know, many more players who people who organizations that you wouldn't consider to be finance companies are able to offer the services that would have traditionally been the domain of the finance company. So I think these are you know a couple of really big trends, and that's changing the way existing you know incumbents are you know reacting and 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 behaving, and they are also modifying their own business models. Uh, to try and uh, fit in uh, with these uh, big trends uh, in the future. You mentioned earlier how there's been an increase in the number of financial institutions. So what is the impact of having that many people involved in the market? Surely there's going to be a problem. Yeah, look, I mean, that comes with uh, the territory, right? You know, um, um, there are millions of mom-and-pop stores in the world selling, you know, groceries, you know, around the corner, right? I mean... If we apply the same logic, there should not be so many of them. You know, they should have basically gone bust and bankrupt because, you know, the supermarkets would take over and so on. But nevertheless, there are still many of them out there because they do offer a, a product and a service that, um, you know, somebody else is not able to offer, um, you know, whether it's convenience, the price point, whether it's familiar, whatever it is, right? So, they're like, they're, it, it's a multidimensional uh, decision-making uh, process. 
So yes, uh, having many more players, some will survive, some won't. Um, they will offer a certain, uh, the, the ones that survive are basically going to offer a certain product and service, um, you know, to uh, clients that, you know, meet their requirements and, and yet are profitable and are able to grow. So it's, it's uh, the, again, as I said, the rules of the game have not really changed. You know, it's all a matter of time frames more than anything else. Um, so uh, having more players is not by itself a bad thing. Um, there will be uh, eventual evolution into, um, you know, as the industry matures into fewer people and then until there's a next wave of, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, evolution when there would be another set of disruption down the line. So that's that's the nature of the business anyways, right? So if you would just look at the banking industry right now or uh, uh, 10 years ago, you know, 2008, the biggest banks then in terms of market capitalization versus the current companies now, you know, they're pale shadow. And then if you go 25 years earlier, again, the set of banks then were very different from then. So that's the nature of the uh, business and the world, right? I mean, that, and 10 years from now, uh, who knows? Maybe PayPal is the, uh, uh, you know, uh, gorilla uh, among them all, 800-pound gorilla. Or, uh, or uh, you know, a Stripe may not even be, let's say, 10 years down the line. Maybe it had few missteps and it's, it's not there anymore. So you never know, right? So... You talked about a time frame and how small that time frame is. So how quickly do firms that need to respond to meet that time frame? I think you need to move pretty quickly anyway. So uh, the question is not about the speed as well as like, you know, how do you uh, do with execution, right? So if you look at many of the incumbents who are doing, let's say Singapore, for example, and we take DBS as an example, and people talk about how good they've done in terms of digitizing their processes and procedures. But what they've done, they've done in parallel, right? It's not that your, uh, you know, traditional DBS bank has disappeared, right? So they've basically launched initiatives in parallel, you know, separate thing. People talk about digibanks who have no issue of the legacy, you know, uh, issues, you know, being uh, started. So so you have to basically uh, adapt quickly, fast, and uh, and you have to, like, you know, run it such that you, you are basically able to, like, you know, evolve yourself while not, you know, collapsing or, you know, uh, uh, having a you know, survival, uh, you know, question itself. I mean, that's the thing. And if you can execute it well, you make it. If you don't, you 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 disappear. It's as simple as that. There is no, uh, there are no two ways about it. It's, it may not be immediately, five years, ten, down, 10 years down. It's not that you disappear in terms of like, you know, um, you go by, somebody just comes and buys you out, acquires you, you know, um, when you're down and out at a much lower price. I mean, that's that's the nature of the, you know, industry anyways. Is it possible for the financial industry to avoid suffering the most during economic contractions? Or does the industry have to accept the fact that they're every 10 years they're going to go through a slump? I, it's not necessarily every 10 years. I think one thing you would realize is that the financial industry is fundamentally an uh, industry that provides leverage to the entire system. What it means is that um, for every uh, dollar you have in your pocket, you actually have 5 or 6 or $10 out there you know, that you've borrowed you know, to uh, to invest or, you know, to uh, expand. So that's the very nature of banking industry. So when economy does well, when economy grows by 2%, you find that banking does, uh, uh, I mean, grows by 10% because of the nature of the leverage, right? It, it, uh, similarly, when the economy globally shrinks by 2%, you will find that the banking will take disproportionate. So it's it's the nature of the, that's, that's how, that's why banking is valuable, right? If all you did was, uh, you put in $100 in the bank and that's all you had and that's all you could use to pay and all this and nobody else could borrow money and, you know, then, then it would be of no value to the uh, system. Mm -hmm. But the fact that your $100 in the bank helps them 
you know, uh, go out and probably lend 500 or $600 into the economy is basically where the, uh, you know, value of the system comes in, right? Um, and our credit level, and of course, facilitation of payments and all the services. Similarly, when the economy shrinks, you know, you will basically have a disproportionate impact. That is the reason why this time the impact was not that great, because what happened was the impact of the leverage was taken uh, by the governments and the central banks. So they kept the banks flush with the liquidity, with the things, so they could stay in the uh, in the market without having to reduce or cut back. So your credit card, you know, if you recollect, you know, U.S. gave, uh, you know, a fair bit of a holiday and a waiver in terms of people, like, you know, could take longer to pay back, you know, the loans, you know, the credit cards, you know, they directly paid, you know, people so that they could. All of that basically meant that you did have an uh, impact of the economy shrinkage on the banking system, right? So that's the uh, thing. But if that didn't happen, if the central bank wasn't there, the governments weren't there to take on the load, and it was a regular situation. Let's say the economy shrinks by 1% or 2%. Yeah, you should expect banking to do you know, much worse because that's the nature of the user. If the economy does well, they do well. And that is the reason why if you look at uh, high-growth economies, you'll find that banking is one of the star you know, stock-performing you know, sub-sectors in, 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 in any uh, fast-growing economy. Is it fair to say that any economy that, ne- that is growing needs to invest in financial institutions? It's not a question of invest. You need to have strong financial institutions, right? So it's not about, um, you know, it's not that the government is investing in a bank or whatever it is, right? So almost every country, if you notice, uh, they have one or two or often more, you know, very large banks, which are anchor institutions, which kind of as like, you know, they're, almost, they're too big to fail as you would, uh, as the you know, term uh, goes. So uh, you cannot, um, you know, ever have, um, you know, crisis of confidence or a run on them or any risk to them. So they're all... So you, every country has it, you name it. You know, they could be state-owned, they could be like in China, or they could be completely private sector, you know, uh, own, uh, you know, like in, um, you know, most uh, liberal democracies. But nevertheless, you do. Even in Singapore, for example, you've got your DBS, you've got your UOB, you've got your OCBC. These are the three ones. You will never, ever, ha- uh, you know, can contemplate uh, the Singapore go- go- country and the government and economy doing well uh, if any one of them was in uh, crisis or in risk, right? So... So that's the nature of the business. So you just want to have good, strong institutions. That's more important uh, rather than investing. And then these strong institutions then have to figure out how they manage, adapt, and grow, you know, and, you know, handle the situation. Now, if they're not able to do that, that's what happens, right? They fall behind, they become weaker, then the stronger one, you know, steps in, takes over, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's how the uh, industry usually evolves. But you cannot take away the fact that you want, you will have strong few institutions. Thank you very much, Mr. Archie, for your profound insights. Thanks for listening to Talking Economics. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into how the finance industry was impacted during the pandemic and how its future is shaping out to be. In my next episode, I'll be looking at another industry and in the impact it faced. If you're keen to hear more about it, tune in next week. Thank you.